and welcome to the show that is absolutely not above hiring another show to make it look good. On today's Totally Football League show, is time running out for Carlos Carav... Carlos Car... Is time running out for the Sheffield Wednesday manager? We sent Matt Stanger back to the mothership. He was at Ewood Park on Saturday and somehow Blackburn Rovers still won. And there was a big win for Crew Alexandra this weekend, which is handy because they don't win many. We take a look at what's going on at Gresty Road. And in a brutal assertion of hegemonic strength, we've urinated on the legs of the Not The Top 20 podcast and claimed its creative driving forces for our own. The doors are sealed. They cannot get out. We'll have all the usual stuff, the anthemic roundup music, the fan league, the odds from Footy Joe. It's all here on the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. It's Ali and George from the Not The Top 20 podcast. Ali, how you doing? Very, very well, thanks Ian. Happy to be here. Very delighted that you're here. The door really is locked, by the way. You, you can't get out. George, welcome aboard. Hi Ian, thanks very much. It's very professional in here. I is it? That. Yeah, it's unbelievable. God. We used to kitchen tables and, and, the, and the like, so to God. be in a studios. That's absolutely the first time anyone's ever accused us of being professional. <laughs> um, we, we were actually in the same room not so long ago, weren't we, with the FSF Awards? A very large room. Yes. Um, and um, there were crickets at one point, I think, uh, when everyone realised the... Uh, the uh, the winner of the award that we were up for, uh, and and we I wondered, and we wondered what you. was we wondered what was going to happen next, but uh, it all went very well. I thought. Well, you know what? They're just trinkets, Ali. They're just trinkets. Exactly. It's art. You can't quantify art. Matt can't quantify you. We missed you last week. Are you all right now? Yeah, it's great to be back. Thanks for begging me back on the show. Begging, contractually obliged. I don't know. It depends which way you go down. You were at Blackburn, weren't you? You went home. I did. I went home at the weekend, had some delicious plate meat pie at Ewood Park and <laughs> it felt wonderful. Tripped down memory lane. Yeah. Is it is it nice going back? Like even in a professional capacity, do you still do you still get surges of nostalgia? Uh yeah, I do, yeah, definitely. And you catch up with uh, you know, old friends and people you used to sit with uh, at the games all those years ago. Uh it was all going swimmingly until that second half, really, and then I thought we were gonna throw it away, but but yeah, it was great. Ewood Park, by the way, the only ground I've ever had a death threat from a six year old. Wow. Yeah. Walked over to the side of the press box, leaned over and told me quite explicitly that he was going to get a gun and shoot me. Wow. Yeah. Happens happens in Blackburn. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They grow up tough and they grow up mean. (laughs) Should we get cracking on the Championship Roundup? Because we've got a very busy show. Anthemic music. Go. Wolverhampton Wanderers opened up the weekend on Friday night with a routine 1-0 victory away at Sheffield Wednesday. Ruben Nevers with a winning goal like a length for the pool table shot in the black. But was that the result of the weekend? Was it Bobbins? Sunderland have finally won a home game, bless them. 1-0 victors over serially inconsistent Fulham. And Leeds United are inching their way back towards the playoffs. They just about overcame Norwich, 1-0 at Elland Road. Jack Robinson grabbed the first goals of his career to earn QPR a rare win on the road at Birmingham, while Bolton slipped to a third defeat in four matches at home to fellow strugglers Burton. And draw specialist Brentford failed to score for only the second time in 17 matches as Barnsley picked up their first point in six at Griffin Park. Oh, Sheffield United, what's happened? They were beaten 1-0 by Preston North End. It's five games without a win now for Chris Wilder's men and they are sliding all the way out of contention. And if they're in trouble, what do we make of Middlesbrough? Another defeat for Gary Monk. As someone in this room predicted, they went down 2-1 at Millwall. And Ipswich are weirdly still in contention for a playoff place. They beat Reading 2-0 at Portman Road and they are eighth. Bristol City warmed up for their EFL Cup quarter-final against Manchester United with a fourth win on the spin at home to Nottingham Forest. While Derby are also challenging for a place in the top two. It's now nine wins in 12 for Rowett's rampant Rams after they beat Stalling Aston Villa 2-0. 
and it's three wins in four for Ipswich as they saw Reading 2-0 to climb within two points of the playoffs. Right, big week for the Championship, um, but we're going to focus all our attention on Sheffield Wednesday. <laughs> I was actually very busy before the show. I was doing a very long interview with uh, the guy from Gimlet about um, Italia 90. So I said to producer Ben, can you prepare just a few discussion points for Sheffield Wednesday? And uh, he's got uh, Jermaine Jackson from the Jackson 5 said that he'd taken an interest in Sheffield Wednesday and he was in the Big Brother house at the time. So I think that's all we need. Let's move on to League One and here's the round. Um, Sheffield Wednesday, towards the end of last season, I saw them against Newcastle and they were brilliant. Played Rafa Benitez's side off the park and you looked at them and you thought, if not this season, next season, surely to God. They weren't that far away. They're in the playoff final um, and kind of unfairly beaten by Hull. So they were absolutely one of my predictions to go up. Ali, it really hasn't happened like that, has it? It hasn't. And I think that's under Carvajal, the sort of game that they've always been finding big games against teams like Newcastle, where their style of play has suited the occasion. But they've never developed a way of, of putting lesser teams away. I say lesser, meaning the teams below them, bottom half teams that you'd expect them to to be defeating this season, it's been going the other way entirely. They've picked up so many draws. They've actually lost fewer games than Sheffield United, but they're what, you know, nine point nine places below them in the league. So they've just never developed, despite a strong squad on paper, a way of playing, a way of attacking, really, because the defence has always been fine, uh, a way of attacking that puts them at the top end of the championship, basically. George, what's changed? I mean, Forestieri's injured, but is that it? It's massive. I think he's one of the standout players in the league when he's fit. And I think they're very one-dimensional without him. If you look at the midfield, you've got Bannon and Jones, who are tidy players who, with Premier League experience, but they're not particularly creative. Butterfield as well isn't really someone who creates many chances. And the, the strikers they've got are all fairly similar. They're fox-in-the-box types, the likes of Hooper, um, the likes of Winnell, Rhodes. These are all guys who's they play one way, and that's to get near the box. There's some interesting shot data as well. Sheffield Wednesday average um, 18th for shots taken in a game in the Championship and top that stat for shots inside the six-yard box, and only second behind Wolves for goals inside the six-yard box. And I think that just shows how they're very easy to defend against. The plan is to get the ball wide to the wingers and to get the ball into the box to these strikers who come alive in the box. And they have very few players like Forestieri who can play between the lines, who can convert um, a midfield into attack uh, from deeper positions. So I think they've become almost a team that people want to play when they're struggling. If you look at the teams who have picked up points against them recently, Hull, who are obviously struggling hugely, went to Hillsborough and got a two-all draw. Norwich picked up that massive home win 3-1. And I think you look at their next game, which is Middlesbrough uh, at home, and Borough will look at that game as an opportunity to, to get back on the right track. And to be in that position, to be that team, is, isn't a good thing for any, for any club in that, you know, where people are looking forward to playing you. And Matt, the, the pressure's beginning to tell on the manager. Um, you know, he had to watch Friday night's game from the stands because of a touchline ban. He's lost his rag in a couple of press conferences now, um, in particular doing something with a £20 note, which was very, very weird. Um, can he turn this around? Well, I think it's going to be a struggle, isn't it? Because I think a lot of the fans now are, are you know, looking for him to leave. And um, yeah, when you start showing everyone that you are struggling, you're feeling the pressure, then how do you really grapple it back from that situation and like you say he's lost it a couple of times in press conferences there have been decisions that have gone against him 
Uh, George Shedhull picked up that point at uh, Hillsborough the other week and Michael Dawson though, there was a blatant handball that should have been a penalty for Sheffield Wednesday and you sympathise with Carvajal a little bit over incidents like that but I, yeah I think he's they, they couldn't get him on mid-tably right now they're 10 points off the playoffs <laughs> 10 points off the bottom three and the season's threatening to peter out already I mean this is the thing they did have chances against Wolves on Friday in particular that uh, Adam Reach shot which was just an awful awful miss so, I mean, is there an argument that there's there's a bit of bad luck here? You think it's more than that, don't you, Ali? I do, personally. I think what I touched on earlier, games like that against Wolves, that, that teams at the top, they tend to equip, equip themselves fairly well in terms of performance, in terms of quashing the threat of the opposition. But I always look back at the playoffs last season when they drew Huddersfield in the semi-finals and the way that they approached those games to against a team that they should have been the match of in such a defensive way and, and in a way that that showed, I mean, there's you've got to be pragmatic as a manager, we know that, but I do think Carvajal's taken it too far on occasions, and I would have been really disappointed to have gone out of the playoffs like that as a Sheffield Wednesday fan. I also think they're not really considered to be big spenders, and we know the teams that are always, you know, whenever Wolves or Villa are doing well, all the other championship teams say, well, look at all the money that you're spending on players. But Carvajal has spent around £35 million on players in three seasons, and even worse, He's basically never received a fee. He's never sold anyone for any money. I think that's a really damning indictment of a, a modern manager. We know you've got to balance the books. And he's lucky to have a, a very, very kind chairman, Mr <laughs> Chanziri, who, who's given him a longer leash than most chairmen would. George, if they were to get rid of him and bring someone in, who would be at the top of the shortlist? It's hard to say. I think there's a lot of young managerial talent. I think you're looking at Paul Hurst as someone who I think deserves a big job in the championship. I think even though Chef, uh, even though Shrewsbury looked like they're probably not going to keep up that form, what he's done there and what he did at Grimsby before is a sign of a, of a manager who can turn around fortunes of a club very, very quickly. Um, and here'd be someone I'm looking at, Alan Nixon, who's a journalist on Twitter who all EFL fans um, should follow. He's, he's a locked account, but he's very... Um, he gets stuff right basically, and and he says that Carvajal's effectively a dead man walking, and and the wheels are, are turning now to to try and find a replacement. And it, but if you look at the squad, it, it's a very old squad. You look at you know Pudel's thirty two, um, Leuven's thirty four, David Jones thirty three, George Boyd thirty two, Kieran Westwood thirty three, Fletcher thirty, Wallace thirty two. There's a massive overhaul needed, and you'd think if Carvajal was the man to do that, he would have done so in the summer. And the fact that he didn't, and he even brought in players like Boyd, uh, who who are already, uh, uh, you know, basically past it or, or getting there. He's gambled on experience to get them up. Really, that was the the big aim. And you know, when they're struggling in mid table, if if you look at all the managers that are available at the moment, though, Pulis, he's the man to get the most out of an, an aging squad like that, isn't he? So, you know, would they be able to attract him? I don't know. Well, I mean, a lot of people forget how big a club Sheffield Wednesday are. The the, the um, the crowds they get now are, are very, very good. The crowds they get in the Premier League would be absolutely enormous. I mean, th- there's a fair chance they'll be aiming for someone with a bigger name, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's always, as a, as a fan of a League One club, maybe I champion these young uh, League One, League Two managers more than, than the people who have to have to foot the bill if it doesn't go well. But um, and and as as I mentioned on basically every single uh, not the top twenty pod, there's a. A man called Michael Appleton, who I think would do a very good job at any of these clubs as well, who who managed Oxford and completely revolutionised the club um, as as manager in three years. And um, with Claude Puel bringing his own men into Leicester, um, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he was putting his name up for these kind of jobs as well. Nice little audition at Leicester. 
put himself in a probably a, a strong position there. Absolutely. Although, although I mean, what Puyall's done since has maybe uh, <laughs> has maybe shown it wasn't it wasn't the miracle that we thought it was. But but he's you know he's someone who who would get fans on board and play football the right way if there's such a thing and uh, and deserves his chance at a championship club at least. OK, well, if you want to be one of the many people watching Sheffield Wednesday, tickets are around about £28 for adults, although it's £23 if you're a member of the Armed Forces. It's the first time we've seen that sort of discount. Um, and tickets start at a fiver for juniors as well. Hillsborough is uh, two and a bit miles from the city centre and indeed Sheffield train station. But if you don't fancy a 12-minute walk... 12 minutes for two and a half miles. Producer Ben, you must have legs, of <laughs> dynamic legs. Um, if you don't fancy that walk, take the Sheffield Super Tram. Sounds amazing. Uh, when we come back, we'll be playing the Fan League. Listeners, you like stats, and so do I. So have a bang on this one. 81% of men who try the Cornerstone Razor don't go back to their old one. I know. Find out more and get £10 off your first order and free delivery too at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. Welcome back to the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. Um, you've been on the Sheffield Super Tram Alley. I have. Uh, is it super? Um, fairly run of the mill. I don't know trams that well, but if that's super, I'd like to know what's less than super, what's normal. Because, uh, yeah, I, it, it's a it's a very handy tool because it is a long walk, certainly more than twelve minutes. Um, we walked there uh, on the way to the game, decided not to take on the walk back. But then you have the problem of, you know, a lot of people trying to get on the super tram, and it and it might be super, but it's not necessarily that large. So I think we waved sort of four off before we could get on one. So if you're trying to catch the train after the game, <laughs> got to bear that in mind. That's what. It's about 12 minutes to walk to Bramall, so you maybe may they're making that. Go and watch the better Sheffield team. That would be my <gasps> tip. Right, that's our mailbag screwed. <laughs> if it wasn't in enough trouble with you saying Shrewsbury earlier, oh, no. the post will get. Yeah, I know. Sorry. Sorry, lads. <laughs> <laughs> Let's play the Fan League. Um, you know the Fan League by now. Uh, you download it off the App Store and you get a slip with 13 games. All you've got to do is pick a home win, a away win or a draw. Uh, which sounds easy, we manage to screw it up almost every week. Um, let's start with a game that we shouldn't be able to screw up, Leeds against Hull. George, how are you feeling about this? Uh, I think it'll be a home win. Um, I think that Hull have obviously turned it around somewhat, but Leeds seem to be a team who, um, when momentum is on their side this season, they, they can blast teams away, and I think they'll do that here. Ali, 10 points from a possible 12 for Leeds. They've won their last three home games. Uh, Hull lost last week. It's not going to be a shock, is it? No, it's not. Leeds are, I think, on the threshold of being a really, really good team. I think one or two clever additions in January could could take them to that next level. And with a, a big battle for second place at the moment, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say they're out of it. Matt, we've watched Leeds on the up, Leeds on the down, Leeds stabilising. What do you make of them right now? I'm still not convinced. No. Oh. So I, I think Hull could snatch a draw here actually as oh. well. Being a, a sort of local rivalry as well, yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, I saw Leeds against Norwich at the weekend. James Madison missed a great chance for Norwich that could have snatched a one-one draw for them. So, yeah, I think a draw. I disagree completely. I think Leeds will win. On to QPR against Bristol City. Now, the tricky bit here is that Bristol City haven't played Manchester United as we record this, and it's hard to know how they'll react. Well, both to victory and defeat, really, Matt. Um, QPR Bristol City is this a good time for QPR to play them 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, after the Manchester United game, I mean they're going to put everything into that, aren't they? I mean, to you know to get to the semi-final, hopefully of the EFL Cup. Uh, Lee Johnson, hopefully when he's snazzy coat again on the sidelines at Loftus Road at the weekend. QPR as well, we've seen them beat Sheffield United at home, they beat Wolves at home, so we know they're a, they're a big test for, for sides at the top end of the division. And uh, I think, yeah, drawing this one, I think it's going to be a close game. Uh, Ali? I'm going to go with a home win uh, for the, some of the reasons Matt just touched on there. They have turned up in bigger games this season, uh, especially at home, and once that atmosphere starts crackling, it's, it's a very tough place to go. There's the Man U tie in midweek for Bristol City, but also I think some of their results have papered over a couple of cracks recently. They've not been dominating teams, they've been sneaking wins, and I think ultimately that'll start to even itself out starting this weekend. George, QPR won last week, but before that they hadn't won in six. Is Ali drunk? Uh, no, I, I think the QPR are actually better than maybe the, the, the table suggests. Uh, I do think the Bristol they were very, very good and they'll finish in the top six at least this season. Um, I'm going for a draw purely because irrespective of the result uh, against United, um, that's inevitably going to take a fair bit out of them. Um, but I do think they're the better team. I shall join you with the fence up my bottom and say draw as well. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday against Middlesbrough. We just talked about Sheffield Wednesday. Um, but Middlesbrough, they've lost four of their last six, George. What, why, why aren't they winning? I don't think they're very good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to put it, to put, to put it bluntly, um, I think that we've seen at Swansea, at Leeds and, and at Middlesbrough that Gary Monk is a, is a massive momentum manager absolutely huge we saw the wheels totally fall off at Leeds last season and we saw um, an amazing run to get them in the position they were in the first place and at the moment Borough are down and out but as I've mentioned Sheffield Wednesday um, are the team you want to face uh, they've drawn four of their last six games and I think this is going to be another another share of the spoils you've got uh, Pep Clotet uh, Oxford yeah. Gary Monk's former number two you only have to watch Oxford for about three minutes to go <laughs> Ooh, what's yeah. going on here is that what Gary Monk's missing possibly um Pep is he's he's obviously a very good coach. He has a has a uh, an idea of how we want to play. It's kind of bizarre though because we go through phases of the season. At the moment, we haven't conceded in two games, um, and we were shipping goals for fun about a month ago. So I think it's slightly um, scattergun. It's a bit slapdash. He's he's a young, inexperienced manager, but um, the style of football we play when going well with a player that you must know quite well in Jack Payne at the forefront is oh, um, yes. is, is can be fairly sublime but Mini. I think stop Payne stop Oxford sadly Mini Messi we banged on about that too much so I'm going to quickly run through so you're saying uh, Borough for the draw. win there? Draw, draw. Yeah. Uh, Ali? Yeah draw for me as well Matt? Yeah draw <laughs> I'm going Middlesbrough win um, Wolves-Ipswich Matt the, the last time we had a Wolves prediction uh, it didn't go well because it was Sunderland but Wolves-Ipswich yeah, it, well, it has to be Wolves, really, doesn't it? But Mick McCarthy going back to Molyneux, you know, could it could be a surprise result. And Ipswich beat Derby on this f- uh, fantastic run that they're on at the moment, mm. winning at Pride Park. So, yeah, I'm still going to go for Wolves. <laughs> Ali? I'd have thought you possibly would think, oh, a Mick McCarthy team, they'll set up really defensively and they might frustrate Wolves into a draw. But actually, Ipswich are a very open team, this iteration of Ipswich anyway, which sort of goes against the last few years. But I think McCarthy just went, sod it, uh, let's let's put a load of attacking players and try and excite the fans. And they are, but their defence is not very good and I'm sure Wolves will find a few ways through it. George? Yeah, I was thinking about going for a draw. I think Wolves will win it purely because Mick McCarthy's a specialist at, at, at focusing on games where he thinks he can pick points up. And with QPR coming on Boxing Day, I think that'll be the, at the forefront of his mind, even even for Saturday. I'm going to be talking to Mick McCarthy on Thursday, and on the off chance he's listening, I'm going to say uh, draw. 
uh, because <laughs> I am that cowardly. Uh, final one on the slip. Uh, we'll have to be quick because we're running out of time. Aston Villa against Sheffield United. Villa beaten by Derby, George, which is it's a bit of a blow because, you know, the, you can take being beaten by Wolves, I think, but being beaten by Derby, that marks them out as maybe not the playoff contenders we thought they were. And, uh, yeah, and they, they had one shot. Yeah. Um, I think in the whole game. So they I mean they're they're suffering from a crisis of confidence. Um having said that Sheffield United are in the same boat although um I think that the loss against Bristol City even with 10 men was fairly unfair and we can probably see see a return to form at some stage so I am going to go for a draw. Yeah, I said this last week about Sheffield United and look what they went and did. They lost yeah. to Preston. Ali, Villa Sheffield United. I'm going to go with Sheffield United here. I think that Villa's thin squad at the moment due to injuries is starting to to become an issue. Keenan Davis and Josh Onuma are just simply too young and too inexperienced to be leading that line and, and with Grealish coming back in, into fitness that, that will be a boost for them over the Christmas period but I think they struggle against well-drilled teams with something with a bit about them attacking in an attacking sense and that's Sheffield United so I, I can see Sheffield United getting back on the wagon. Matt, yep. equally confident? Sheffield United victory definitely. Okay, uh, I will go draw. There you go, just to avoid controversy. Uh, Fan League is available on the App Store. Type in Fan League. And if you want to join our league, the Totally Football League League, um, just seek me out, Ian McIntosh, and send me an invite. And as soon as I can figure out what my password is, I will invite you to join. After this, it's time for League One. League One, then. After three games without a win, Shrewsbury are back. They beat Blackpool 1-0. They're second, and they're four points behind leaders Wigan. That little wobble has closed the gap behind them, though. Bradford are fourth after yet another away win, this time at Southend, thanks to a last-minute penalty from Charlie Wyke. And it might be worth keeping an eye on Portsmouth. Kenny Jackett's side beat Berry 1-0, and that's their fifth win in six games. They're seventh. Wigan continue to lead the way in League One after thrashing Wimbledon 4-0 at Kings Meadow. But Blackburn are now only a point behind the top two as they picked up a sixth win in a row against Charlton. And Oldham battled back to draw 1-1 at Doncaster thanks to Oyen Doyle's late leveller. Scunthorpe have lost a little ground on their rivals this week, dropping two points at home with a two-all draw against MK Dons. Rotherham are losing their way as well. They needed a last-minute equaliser to salvage a draw at home to relegation-haunted Plymouth. And if Pep Clotet's Oxford could get a bit of consistency, they'd be dangerous. Instead, they're ninth after drawing 0-0 away at Rochdale. Gillingham picked up a first home league win since September and they did it in some style, thrashing Bristol Rovers 4-1, while Northampton gifted Walsall an early lead at Sixfields before Chris Long claimed the brace to win a vital three points for Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank's side. And Peterborough left it late to fight back and beat Fleetwood 3-2 and climb to eighth. Ah, Blackburn Rovers then. What an absolute minefield this is. I wrote this at about one in the morning um, and thought, right, the first thing I do when I wake up is I'm going to legal check this. Um, because there are periods of Blackburn's recent history which are a little iffy. Um, so what I'm going to have to do is kind of legal check it as we go, and I, I think that's fine. I think that's good practice. Are you a bit more fast and loose at one in the morning, Ian, than you are at, at, in the morning? Yeah, yeah, you know, I've got the drinks globe, so that, that kind of gets me through. So some of this might go a little odd. But uh, left to my own devices, a history would take about 20 minutes. There's so much going on, so I'm just going to split this up into three ages. The Age of Victoria and Edward VII and George V. Blackburn Rovers were one of the powerhouses of the Victorian era. They were formed in 1875. They won their first of three consecutive FA Cups in 1884, beating Scotland's Queen's Park twice and West Bromwich Albion once, 
they got Silver Shield to mark the occasion. They were founder members of the Football League in 1888, making them one of only three clubs to be founder members of both that and the Premier League. Gentlemen, there are points on offer if you can guess them. Well, it's got to be Aston Villa, one of them. <laughs> Shameless Matt Stanger and, and steals Everton. in with Aston Villa and Everton, Everton for Ali yeah. as well. Uh, Everton, Aston Villa, Blackburn, the only two founder members of both the Football League and the Premier League. Blackburn won two more FA Cups in 1890 and 1891, two league titles in 1912 and 1913, another FA Cup in 1928. After that, it all goes a bit quiet. They did reach the final in 1960, but they lost. I don't know if you know, Matt, but Dave Whelan broke his leg in, in that the game. The dustbin final, that was called. Why was it called the dustbin final? Because there was loads of litter flying across the Wembley pitch. Oh, very nice. Nice addition. The Age of Walker. In 1990, after much pinging between the divisions, local boy-made steel magnate Jack Walker took over and things started looking up. Kenny Daglish arrived in 1991. Rovers went up through the playoffs in 92 and announced their return to the big time by buying Alan Shearer for £3.5 million. For younger listeners, this is a bit like Sheffield Wednesday going up and immediately spending £100 million on Harry Kane. Blackburn came fourth in the first season, then second, and then they won the title in 95, despite losing to Liverpool on the last day of the season. Uh, Daglish moved upstairs that summer. Uh, his assistant, Ray Harford, couldn't repeat the success. Roy Hodgson got sick for 98, but was sacked with Rovers in the drop zone the following winter. Brian Kidd had a crack, but just four years after winning the title, Rovers were relegated, and Walker died one year before they returned. The Age of Venkies. Everything was fine. Blackburn did return to the top flight. They won a League Cup. They had a few decent finishes... And then the Walker Trust sold the club to the Indian company VH Group, better known as Venkis. And it was clear almost immediately that something was horribly wrong. Venkis were advised by the agent Jerome Anderson. Redacted. 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 Blackburn were relegated in 2012, one year later than everyone thought they'd go down. They lasted four seasons in the second flight before they dropped down again last season. Tony Mowbray, though, was appointed in February. He was Venky's seventh manager in seven years. Uh, but, Matt, he might just have stopped the rot. Yeah, we're playing really well. Best run in 17 years with a six-game winning streak. I think I probably saw the worst of that run at the weekend against Charlton, where it looked like we didn't have a great deal left in the tank, to be honest, which is a bit worrying ahead of the Christmas schedule. But we, we ground out the win, and uh, Mowbray was very pragmatic about it afterwards. He said it's one of those games where you go in, you get the three points and you get out and you move on. Nice. That's what we want. Um, Ali, obviously I've skirted over a few details there mm. um, that I might not have done if I was just a guest on a show, but, you know, kind of owning the company and stuff. I'm a bit scared of, of, sure. of lawyers. Uh, suffice to say, it hasn't been a great period in their illustrious history. No, definitely not. You're not going to catch me out either by uh, by making me say anything that I may later regret. Uh, no, it's been a, a terrible period in, in the club's Famous and storied history, and it's it's horrible to watch fans see a, a club um, struggle like that for one very obvious reason, and, and seemingly with no upcoming potential for that to to come to an end, despite some good times on the pitch this season. George, it's been horrifying watching them slide down, hasn't it? But do you think they've hit rock bottom now? Yeah, I mean, I was one of those guys growing up who who was a Blackburn fan for about six months before I realised I had a local club because of Alan Shearer, because I you know I was whatever five years old when they won the league and Stuart Ripley and, and Stuart Ripley you know all the lads Sutton great times but yeah I think that <laughs> I think that every every club um, and you know to bring it back to my own experience every club I think has a level where no matter who you're run by no matter who your owner is 
you're going to be too big a fish. And, and Oxford and Luton had it when they went down to the, to, to the conference, what's now the National League. And I think that's what's happened with Blackburn. I think the size of the club the um, and, and just the, the fan base and the way it's built and, and the history means that there's going to be a level where it, it can't go worse. And I, and I think that things would have to be seriously bad at Blackburn for them to be um, not competitive at League One level. And having Tony Mowbray in charge, who's, who's someone who's very shrewd and very clever, pragmatic, as Matt said, um, has been a huge plus for them. And I think that the turnaround, the, the recruitment in the summer was very, very smart. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about Bradley Dack more, um, who's having a fantastic season. Um, Richie Smallwood as well as someone who, who I think has, has gone under the radar somewhat in terms of, of a signing. Um, and yeah, they're, they're back on, on the up now. And, and But the real question will be if and when they do go up, um, can under this ownership and under Tony Mowbray can they keep going back towards where they where they probably think they deserve to be and that's and that's the Premier League. <laughs> Matt, what, one of the saddest things uh, about a trip to Ewood Park, aside from being threatened to be shot by a six-year-old, um, is that when you're heading towards Ewood Park itself, almost everything in the area has has shut down, hasn't it? Because you you had all these the pubs and and restaurants and that 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 had a huge influx of people every fortnight and that has drained away and the area around it, it's, it's not done well out of this. Yeah, this is something I wrote about last year actually when uh, I went to watch us play Leeds. We lost, uh, I think it was Pontus Janssen, late goal in the, the relegation mile last season and uh, it, it's not just you know the team and the club and the fans, it's, it is the local businesses as well and the, the whole area really and if you think about it, it was 10 years ago we finished 7th in the Premier League and we've just plummeted, so yeah it's uh, it's been a terrible time for the town But tell me about the team right now, who are the players that, um, that we've just mentioned now? Oh thank god we can focus on something positive <laughs> Well George said Bradley Dack and he's been tremendous since he came in from Gillingham uh, we've got a really attacking side, we've got uh, the trio of Antonson, who we've got on loan from Leeds. There's a chance he could get recalled in January, but I think Leeds are going to be kind and allow us to keep him for the rest of the campaign. And we've got Dominic Samuel as well, who Mowbray has worked with previously at Coventry. And then we've got experience on the bench of Danny Graham and uh, a young striker, Joe Nuttall, who's done really well in the youth teams this season. He only joined us from Aberdeen in the summer, but he looks uh, an exciting prospect already and set up Graham's second goal at the He's weekend. got a great hashtag, doesn't he? Feed the nut. Yeah, and he will score nut. like feed the yak, but with nuttle. I don't know. Just you feed nuts. Yeah, there you go. I've never. I mean, you can cultivate them. I'd yeah. imagine. Yeah, you know, we eat them. Either way, he still scores. He do. He does score, and uh, yeah, he's <laughs> done really well since coming into the side. But I still think that the experienced players are the ones that are going to be the, be the players to carry us through really in this promotion run because we've got Charlie Mulgrew who is having a tremendous season. He's scored eight goals already as a oh, centre good. half. We've got Elliot Bennett and we have uh, Craig Conway. And Craig Conway, for me, when I was watching the Charlton game, he was still the best player on the pitch because he's got so much experience at championship level with Cardiff before us. And yeah, he's, he's someone that will hopefully help us drive back up into the championship. George, Tony Mowbray had a, a reputation um, at West Brom and, and Middlesbrough for perhaps the football was a bit too nice, a um, bit too ideologically driven. Is that the case with Blackburn? I don't think so. I think when it, when it's ending and hitting the back of the net, then it's all it's all hunky dory, really. I I went to Blackburn beat us um, a couple of weeks ago, and, and they were very impressive. They were three and a half after fifteen minutes, and then just managed the game very well. It was one of those games where you came away from it 
as, an, as a home fan, having well, uh, as a fan of the team who lost, thinking, oh, we were kind of in that. And then you actually thought about it and there was a lot of possession and, and just not many chances. And I think that that ability to see games out now is, 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 is impressive for, for, for Mowbray. Yeah, I went to the defeat against Oldham early in the season and we honestly didn't look like we knew how to win a game. It was, yeah. you know, we, we made a pretty slow start. We lost a home to Doncaster. We lost at Southend on the opening day. Did you? And uh, yeah, <laughs> and it, it looked like <laughs> things weren't going to click. And, you know, the fans were, were very worried, but it's, it's the counter-attacking really. That's our biggest strength and that's what we should against Oxford yeah. it's what we should away against Peterborough uh, the other week and you know it's it's sort of how we tried to play against Charlton as well and I, I actually thought even though Charlton had us pinned back and we only had 40% possession throughout the whole game I thought we might even go on and get a couple more because that's how we play Ali? I, I noticed something that I wanted to ask Matt about Paul Downing centre back on loan from MK Dons previously at Walsall never been particularly well fancied even at League One level but he is the key to it all uh, in my research I found out that he's played 12 games so he's missed quite a few in the 12 that he's played they've won 10 and drawn 2 so unbeaten when Paul Downing plays 7 clean sheets in those 12 games which is the, the fans of his former clubs are absolutely baffled about it is that, is that just a statistical anomaly or, or no, is, he, is he looking fantastic he looks really solid you know and I think he compliments Charlie Mulgrew well and when you've got a player of Mulgrew's experience alongside him I think he probably you know coaches him a little bit on the pitch gives him a few words and, and Downing's done, done brilliantly how, how do you feel about all this Matt are you you know, you, you, you've sounded really enthusiastic there and emboldened. Is this the best it's been to be a Blackburn fan in recent years? Ever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you may have had some high points in the 90s, but... I think we've just got to enjoy it now, you know. I mean, I, I stayed away for a long time with a lot of other fans that, that protested against Venkies and just kind of realised that until they can get their money back, which is probably never going to happen, like there's, there isn't a great deal that we can do. And... To be honest, as, as a football fan, I look at it quite philosophically and think I've been incredibly lucky in my lifetime because I saw us win the Premier League and there's not many football fans that can say that. I saw us win the League Cup. I saw us go down and come back up again. So so really, you know, we've, we've been spoiled so far in, in my lifetime. But uh, I, I think this season, it's, it is exciting to see us at the top end of a division again because we were circling the drain in the championship for a long time. Uh, one of my greatest... Uh, one of, one of the, the stats I enjoy most about Blackburn's period in championship is we had Jordan Rhodes at front. He scored over 20 goals three seasons in a row for us and we didn't even make the playoffs. <laughs> I mean, how does that happen? Is there, is there any way that you can see, you know, revolution, the, the Venkis leaving? Is there any indicator that anyone would come in and buy? Yeah, yesterday actually uh, really? was uh, indication that things are moving in the right direction. Not necessarily a buyer, but... We had a new CEO, Steve Waggett. Uh, we actually poached him from yes. Southend, I believe. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's the much needed structure off the field that we haven't really had in the last few years. And j- just to see like things like that happening is is a massive boost really for the fans because he, he worked with Mowbray at Coventry before as well. So Mowbray's clearly impressed the owners. He's winning his power struggle there and he's helping not only build a great football team but also structure off the pitch. And and also we've tied a few young players to uh, longer term contracts this season which really needed to happen because we had a player last season, a local lad actually, Conor Mahoney, brilliant talent. He left for peanuts in the summer uh, to Bournemouth. He hasn't even played a game there. I mean, we haven't even tried getting him back on loan which, which is a shame really because I remember watching him quite a few times last year but there was one moment that stood out. We played Manchester United in the FA Cup we lost that match, but Conor Mahoney put Paul Pogba on his backside. <laughs> you know, seeing Matt talking about Blackburn so passionately, having obviously stayed away, I think it's something we see quite a lot in the FL that actually relegation can often be the best thing for a fan. Um, you see it time and time again where you go down and you're, you're devastated. You think, and then it's followed up by this like, amazing season because you're winning games. And actually, 
finishing mid-table in the championship for three seasons or, or, or going for promotion League One lots of new grounds I mean what's better obviously the, the second one yeah. Southend never seem to do it like that Southend <laughs> just seem to go down and just sort of whimper for about three years I, th- I think whimper. there is a big realigning of expectations as well and that, that does take a little bit of time because you know say at the weekend when I was watching us I was thinking we're just about completing 10 yard passes here and we used to have <laughs> two guys pinging it across the pitch so all right, um, I feel like we could talk about that all day, um, but we can't because studios are expensive. Uh, Blackburn Rovers then tickets range from twenty to twenty-seven quid for adults, depending on where you sit. It's five pounds for under twelves uh, and seven pound for under seventeens, which is very good. There are four car parks around Ewood Park. Matchday parking is a tenner, and if you're taking the train, Blackburn Station is uh, about a mile and a half from the stadium. When we come back, we'll turn our attention to League Two. League Two then. Luton Town have opened up a two-point lead at the top of the fourth division. They were reduced to ten men away at Forest Green, but it didn't stop them winning 2-0. Notts County a second. They were held to a goalless draw at home to Grimsby. I don't think we were really at it, said manager Kevin Nolan afterwards. He's not wrong. Wickham Wanderers are fourth now. They beat Jack Lester's briefly revived Chesterfield 1-0, and they plunged the Spyrites back into the drop zone. Jamal Campbell-Rice scored a beauty for Barnet in their big 2-1 win over Morecambe, while Totally Football League show favourite Giovanni Brown also scored a cracker for Cambridge, but Sean Derry's side went down 2-1 at home to Newport, and a Clint Hill-assisted opener for Port Vale set the Valiants on the way to a 2-1 win over Carlisle. Can Lincoln City secure back-to-back promotions? You wouldn't want to bet against the Cowley brothers, especially after their 2-0 victory over rivals Accrington Stanley. Mansfield Town was supposed to be promotion contenders, but they dropped two big points at home to struggling Yeovil. They're stuck in 10th. And we didn't expect to see Colchester pushing for promotion. But there they are. They beat Swindon 3-2 away from home, and they're only out of the playoffs on goal difference. Mark McNulty popped up with his fourth goal in five matches to secure three points for Coventry against Cheltenham. While Crewe won a game, only their second in eight League Two outings, strolling past Harry Kuehl's Crawley Town, TM, 3-0. And Exeter picked up just their third win in 10 league games to beat Stevenage 2-1 and sneak into the automatic promotion spots. Alright, Crew Alexandra. Points on offer again if you can tell me where the Alexandra bit comes from. No, a lot of blank faces. I should know this. This is my granddad's team. So. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a respectful nod to the then Princess of Wales, uh, Alexandra of Denmark, who, as I'm sure you'll already know, is the Queen of the United Kingdom and her dominions between 1901 and 1910. And a massive crew fan. <laughs> well, I'm afraid I did look. I looked really hard using lots of combinations of Google keywords, but I was unable to ascertain her feelings on that front. A crew were formed in 1877. Uh, their first FA Cup match was certainly noteworthy. They played Queen's Park in 1883, these being the days when that sort of thing happened, and they lost 10-0. But that was not the last thrashing of their history. Crew were founder members of Division 2 in 1892, uh, but they only lasted four seasons before they failed in a bid for re-election and dropped back out again. They returned in 1921 as part of the Division 3 club, Division 3 North in their case. In 1960, a record crowd of 20,000 people turned up at Gresty Road to see them take on Bill Nicholson's Tottenham, and they were rewarded with a magnificent performance and a two-all draw. The replay did not go well. Crew were beaten 13-2 at White Hart Lane. Uh, they had better luck next year, though. Uh, they knocked Jimmy Greaves' Chelsea out in the third round. You never guess who they got in the fourth round, Matt. Uh, was it 
Tottenham? It was Tottenham. It went much better this time. They only lost 5-1. Uh, they secured their first ever promotion in 1963, but it wasn't until 1983 when they started to make waves. That was when Italian-born manager Dario Gradi took over and he began to focus his efforts on developing players from the northwest. players who had been overlooked by bigger teams. David Platt made his name there, as did Robbie Savage, Neil Lennon, Danny Murphy and Nicky Maynard. In 1997, Crew reached the second flight for the first time ever and finished 11th, which remains their best ever season. They actually stayed up for five years, slipping down on goal difference in 2002, bouncing straight back up again and hanging on until 2006. In 2007, Grady moved upstairs. In 2009, Crew moved downstairs, dropping to the basement for the first time in 15 years. Grady came back twice, once as a caretaker, once for a two-year spell, but he stepped down for good in 2011, and in 2012, under his former assistant Steve Davis, they won promotion through the playoffs, beating Southend in the process, and the following year they beat Southend in the Johnston Paints Trophy as well, so thank you for that crew. After a series of near misses, however, they dropped back down into the basement in 2016. Davis was replaced by David Artell, um, but he hasn't yet turned it around. Now, we should say, of course, there is a huge shadow hanging over Crew's legacy, uh, and indeed Dario Grady himself, um, who is suspended by the Football Association. Uh, there's, I don't think that we could do justice to that story. Daniel Taylor, on the other hand, has done rightly. He's won all the Journalism Awards going this year for his coverage of what's happened there in The Guardian and Observer. Um, so do make sure you, you read up on that. It's uh, an extraordinary, deeply harrowing story. Uh, we're going to focus, however, on the football. Is there still a space for a team like Crew, Historically, the breeding ground of, of players. Can that still happen after E-Triple-P? Yeah, I, I believe so. I think that they're, uh, in their own way, still doing fantastic things on that front. There's a bloke called Mark Crane who has a talented son, a, a young son, and he's trying to work out which academy he should be aiming for. This was last year. Uh, and he couldn't find any real information or, or research into which academies in the UK were actually doing the best for their graduates and for, for the people involved. So he obviously took some time off work and put together a proper academic research paper on it. Um, and it's fascinating reading. Crew are one of three teams in League Two with a Category 2 academy. Um, that's Coventry and Colchester, the other two. And, you know, they're still doing it. In the top five tiers of English football last season, there were 36 youth graduates from Crews Academy playing in, in the top five tiers. That's more than Manchester City, more than Aston Villa, more than Newcastle. They're obviously playing at a lower level now, but six of their first team players have come through the academy. They're getting the sort of game time that, that they wouldn't get elsewhere. And I just think in their own way, and perhaps on a slightly smaller scale at a slightly lower level, they're still a, a club who are, who are doing something very, very impressive. All right, numbers like that, you can come again. George, um, who are we looking at in the crew side as the kind of the next generation of players to keep an eye on? Well, I mean, that's that's probably the difficulty, I would say, is is that whilst there are six academy players, it doesn't look like they've got the, the talent coming through that necessarily uh, they had in the past that would take them forward and they'd be able to sell on and therefore reinvest. Um, I think that Artel is an interesting character himself. He came in in the back end of last season when they were when they were in danger of, of, of relegation and, and did turn it around initially. 
Um, a couple of it. I mean, he's an interesting guy. He, he's got degrees in forensic biology. Um, he's he's got a forensic and analytical science degree at Sheffield Hallam University. And some of his quotes are kind of a, a, a interesting insight into the psyche of Artel. Uh, last season, when they were threatened with relegation, he got the job. He said, relegation means oblivion. They'll end up in the conference on £200 a week with a job as a milkman, um, which seemed to get the reaction he wanted. And then at the end of the season, he offered some players new contracts and... Uh, and then withdrew the offers when they didn't sign them immediately. And when asked about that, he said, we all had a say. It's not a dictatorship. I'm not Idi Amin or Pol Pot. It's evolution, not revolution, but we won't be happy with 17th in the table again next season. Well, now they're 19th. Um, <laughs> so he, he's obviously a manager who, who's very intelligent and, and, and looks to use the press and his, his, you know, his knowledge of, of, of intellectual subjects to, to try and inspire his team. But I think you touched upon it, which of this squad are the players coming through who who, who they can rely on. And there, and there aren't many. And, and there are experienced players in the likes of Chris Dagnall, who scored two goals on the weekend, having not scored for a while, who should really at that level, at, at 31 years old, be, be far scoring far more goals than he is after a brief stint at Kerala, I think he was before beforehand. I think you've got to mention George Cooper in this conversation. He's probably the brightest young thing that they have. 15 assists already this season, which is astonishing numbers, slightly boosted by excellent set-piece delivery, uh, which is, of course, very valuable down at that level. But he is he is on and off. He's very inconsistent, and that comes with, with youth, but um, certainly getting better. He plays with his socks rolled down and his head up, and, and he's a quality player to watch on his day. Um, Ainley, another midfielder with, with some quality that their issue is they don't get any goals from midfield Cooper might have a lot of assists but there's no goal scorer helping out that that those strikers like Dagnall just won this season for Cooper one from Ainley and that's it for midfield and I'm not sure Artel's got that much to work with to be honest and and, and Cooper's contract is out in the summer which is, is, is ah. you know it's it's symptomatic of a team who, who aren't run quite the way they were before because in the past here they've been the player they'd look to sell for you know 500 thousand pounds up to the championship or whatever which they could then reinvest whereas it looks like he's probably going to leave either on the cheap in January or, or for free I think that's the challenge for Kuhn now isn't it going back to what Ian was saying about EPPP it's when they had those players like Seth Johnson Dean Ashton Danny Murphy I think they sold each of those for around three million pounds yeah. and now they're scrapping to tie players on permanent contracts and the real problem of course is that the players get scouted and poached while they're still playing for you know under 14 under 15 sides and then you get signed up for some pretty measly pay-ons um Whereas in the past, as you say, you might get 40 or 50 games out of them before they, they got poached. But that's another story, and that will probably require another pod and an awful lot of the beep machine. Um, crew are 19th, um, but only because they, they actually won a game. They've had some pretty barren runs this season. Um, they did beat Harry Kuehl's Crawley, though. Um, what do we think of that? Yeah, I thought they did well. I mean, they definitely deserved that victory. Uh, but if they've played some decent football at times throughout the season, really. Like Ali said, when George Cooper's on it, uh, he really makes them tick. It was two set pieces to assist for him at the weekend again. Uh, a great strike from Cal Mainly as well. I think he said after the game he's been targeting more goals. He knows he needs to get more goals from midfield. Uh, he actually got a terrible cut above his eye against Blackburn in midweek. We played him in FA Cup replay, but clearly he recovered in time for that stunning opener at the weekend. Uh, but yeah, I've seen him a few times this season. I remember watching him against Forest Green, actually, when they lost 3-2. And I think there was a 20-pass move in the build-up for Crew's second goal in that match. And that sort of underlines, you know, along with the 2-0 win against Notts County earlier in the campaign, that they do have some quality. They just need to bring it out more consistently. OK, if you want to go see Crew, uh, tickets start at £20 for adults, £6 for under-11s. And if the following doesn't put you off, you might want to drive. Take Junction 16 off the M6 and look for the industrial estate on Western Road for a parking space. Or you can get the train. Crew train station, five-minute walk for Gresty Road. Nice and easy. 
You're listening to the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill, and we're joined by Joe Crilly of William Hill. How are you, Joe? I'm very good, thank you. Excellent stuff. Unlucky um, at the weekend. That's not the game you want to lose, is it? No, not at all. Uh, I was actually quietly confident. I go into every single game uh, of Bolton Wanderers uh, season with uh, a certain level of trepidation uh, but actually for once I was quite confident that we would get a result and my uh, my father was actually at the game and he called me at half time and said that it was terrible now looking at the stats you would think that uh, that Bolton dominated the game but uh, both teams shared four shots on target and by all accounts uh, Burton uh, had the better of those clear-cut chances so I think a, a defeat was very much a fair result. You were so optimistic when we spoke last because it was all looking good but now Sunderland have started to win, Burton have moved above you, are you starting to you know, get the fear again? I am indeed. All I can say is thanks to uh, Steve Cottrell and, and Birmingham for, <laughs> for keeping us off the bottom of the table. All right. Let's let's uh, let's have a look at some of the things we've discussed today. Uh, next championship manager for the chop, Sheffield Wednesday, isn't it? It is indeed. Um, and uh, Carlos Carvajal is 6-4 to favourite ahead of the uh, aforementioned Steve Cottrell really? uh, and Gary Monk and Ian Holloway. Steve Cottrell's second next favourite to get sacked? Uh, yeah. Already? Yeah, very much. Uh, a, a club in crisis at the moment, Birmingham. I, 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 I know it's been talked and talked and talked about, uh, but the decision to sack Gary Rowett last season continues to bite the owners of uh, Birmingham on the backside. Yeah, it, it doesn't get any better with uh, with hindsight, does it? Um, Blackburn Rovers, though, great run of form at the moment. Matt's never looked so animated and happy with life. Can they actually win the title? Uh well, yeah. I mean, yes, they, technically they, they can. There's well, more yeah. than enough games left. <laughs> yeah, and they're, they're not many points off the top. Um, I'm actually quite happy with this run that they're going on as well. I'm not wanting to sound like uh, I'm after time in here, but I did back Blackburn at the start of the season to, to win the league. They were an incredibly short price at 5-2 uh, to two to win the league. They then drifted after this, the, the really poor start that they had uh, this season, but they're again 5-2 to two to win League One, so that makes them uh, second favourites behind Wigan. Um, what about getting back in the Premier League, say by 2020? Well, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's very optimistic, but not totally unrealistic. Uh, and they're, they're actually 20 to 1 uh, to, to get themselves back into the Premier League uh, by the uh, start of the 2020-2021 season. All right. And uh, crew, crew actually staying up because I've, I've got a feeling they're going down this year. Well, it's, it's so incredibly close at the bottom of League Two at the moment that the crew are actually odds on at two to nine to stay up. They're three to one for relegation. Um, but if you look at the prices of all of the teams that are there or thereabouts at the bottom of the table, Chesterfield, Morecambe, and Yeovil are the favourites, all at two to one. Uh, Forest Green just a, a half a point or a quarter of a point behind at nine to four, and then it's Barnet and Crew at three to one. So all very condensed in the betting there. Now TV games, uh, Villa Sheffield United. I'm torn about this one. It's either going to be one of the best games that we've seen all season or it's going to be nil-nil, isn't it? Yeah, well, this was one of the ones that uh, you guys uh, discussed uh, earlier with the Fan League and uh, two of you, I believe, went for a draw. Yep. Uh, two of you went for an away victory. So, uh, I mean, if we're, if we're looking at that, the draw price is 12-5, to 5, uh, the away price is 13-5 to 5, uh, and the home victory is just a shade above evens at 21-20, to 20, but nobody really... Uh, fancied Villa so I'd be swerving that Right if we're looking for a Christmas miracle Boxing Day brings us Burton against Leeds um, 
the miracle being obviously Burton beating Leeds. What's that? Well, obviously this, these prices could fluctuate given that there is uh, a match beforehand. But Burton three to one, uh, so quite a long price at home. Uh, the away side Leeds nineteen to twenty in the draw, twelve to five. All right, just about enough time for any other questions. Um, does any of the panel have an interesting story about Deli Adebola? Uh, Matt? <laughs> interesting is perhaps a bit far-fetched. I've got a short story about Deli Adebola. Uh, once he gave me a Mars bar on Boxing Day at Gresty Road when I went to watch Crew versus Chester with my granddad. And actually, you asked what my lowest ebb was as a Blackburn fan, and it was definitely losing at home to Crew in March 2000, after, just after we'd been relegated to Division 1. Uh, they were this tiny second team of mine that my granddad followed, and I, even as a 12-year-old, I looked at them with patronising eyes, and they beat us. <laughs> um, Jack uh, Jack Marshall, I think it is, uh, says, how does everyone rate Preston's chances at a playoff place now? Six unbeaten, two points off sixth, and no longer carrying seven injured defenders. George, Preston for the playoffs. Not for me. They've certainly improved again on Alex Neal. Ali and I were talking a month or so ago that we thought the wheels had somewhat fallen off. Um, and I think the can I make a case for them being up there and thereabouts? Yeah, I think they're still a bit underrated. And it's fair. He makes a fair point, the lad who's asked the question, because that poor run was almost entirely down to injuries. And, out, and when they've been fit or fit-ish... They've been very good, so I, I don't see why they can't stay where they are or go upwards. OK, Sharpie wants to know, he's a Sheffield Wednesday fan, um, do you let Carlos go in the summer and start again or replace him right now? Right now, if you were owner now, of Sheffield Wednesday. Now, there's nothing to lose. They're not going to go down. You, you don't think they're going to get dragged into it. And, and if they make the right appointment, they could have a playoff tilt. Ali, I don't even need to ask you. <laughs> You'd have swung the axe months ago, wouldn't you? I would, have, I would have done, Ian. But I just think he looks a bit sad. I think he needs a bit of a break. And those referees are so against him, as you know. So maybe <laughs> he just needs to take a bit of time off. Nice Christmas off. Uh, Matt, do you concur? It's Pulis time. Oh. <laughs> uh, Mike Booth, final question. Should Gary Monk get the sack for Christmas? Um, that's just really, really cold, isn't it? That is harsh, isn't yeah. it? He's only been there for six months. Yeah. But no, I, I don't think no. so. Ali said earlier that uh, Sheffield Wednesday have spent £35 million over the last three transfer windows, was it, for three seasons? Yeah. Uh, and Middlesbrough have spent £55 million in the summer, so there is a lot of pressure on him already. Yeah, I mean, Middlesbrough do have parachute payments, which Sheffield Wednesday don't have, so I think there's there's a bit of leash there in that sense. And my, my problem with Gary Monk, I think the fans as well, is that when they're not doing well, the way that he talks in post-match interviews and pre-match interviews is this weird, almost like corporate speak, and it doesn't fly with fans when things aren't going well. They see through it, and it's not and it's not good enough for, for the borough fans at the moment. All right, that's just about all we've got time for. Um, you've heard Ali and George unload sackfuls of knowledge here in the studio. Where can we hear your sackfuls of knowledge on a more regular basis? Um, yeah, so not the top twenty pod. You can follow us on Twitter on at NTT Twenty Pod. Um, we're obviously on on iTunes, SoundCloud, all the good places. So if you liked it, make sure you you listen to both us and the Totally Football League. You show. really should do as well. One of the reasons that this show is in the format it is is because your show is so good. There was absolutely no point doing anything like that. Thanks, and we've always seen you as like news at ten to our news night. <laughs> Oh, the Christmas love, the Christmas peace. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for making it here. We're very, very glad to have you healthy again. Thanks very much. Uh, George and Ali, thank you very, very much. Uh, Joe, uh, where can we follow you on Twitter again? At footy underscore Joe. 
Lovely stuff. Thank you so much for listening to the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. I am very much afraid that we will not see you next Tuesday um, because it will be Boxing Day and we'll have far more important things to do. Uh, We will next be in on Friday the 29th. Friday the 29th is our next show. Have a very happy Christmas and a wonderful new year. The Totally Football League show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email us at sales at muddyneesmedia.com.